the number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Controversial subjects with the facts can be tense, but we are ASAP Science here to make things make sense. Today we are talking about biophobia, which is the fear of nature and why it might be on the rise. Before that, we're going to be talking about wintering robins in the four-day work week. Hello. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Um, oh, we still didn't finish the Drag Race finale. Whoa. But behind. Well, we all obviously know who won. Yeah. Because it's impossible to exist in the universe without getting spoilers. Um, speaking mm. of spoilers, like, oh, did you spill on your shirt? Coffee on my white shirt. On the shirt that I bought you. Must be Monday. Um, I'm just going to say spoilers. Speaking of spoilers, I'm so excited for Zelda. I made Greg watch the trailer last night. The newest trailer for Tears of the Kingdom came out. The game comes out in a month. I literally am so excited. I told Greg I'm taking a week off when the video comes out or when the game comes out so I can um, just play, play, play. Um, yeah, just something I've been thinking about. It's weird when you're in isolation. I just have to like talk at you, Greg, because you're like, like, you're not not supportive, but you're just like not a Zelda fan or a game. I mean, fan. it looked the trailer was cool. And just think of this: I Link realized is still looking for Zelda. I realized it's one of the only continuous things in my entire life. So it's been six years since the last game, but I've played Zelda my whole life as like an entertainment property. There's very That's few cool. things that last like a, a whole lifetime. 
Star you know Wars, I mean? but it's lost its entertainment value. Yeah. Whereas, like, for a lot of people, Zelda has always, it, like, reinvents the gaming, like, industry every time they release a new game. It's and it's often considered, like, the best game of an era. Why, why is he still looking for Zelda? Like, hasn't he found yeah, Zelda? Yeah. No, like... I don't want to get into it, but there's like multiple timelines. It's the same premise. It's like, you know, cycles of a new Link and Zelda being born into different areas and generations and all that. And some of them tie together and some of them are just like isolated on their own. Not all of them are connected with Ganon or Ganondorf, like every other now and then, like the game will have like a totally different premise. But usually it's like these symbols of power and honor and wisdom and courage, like having to fight each other through Mm. history. That's being cool. being like, um, what do you say? Like, you're never playing the same Link unless this one is a direct sequel to the last. But he always one. looks cute and hunky. Yeah, and now okay, like, you got a donk, you got an ass. No, but like Ganondorf is everyone's like making such funny jokes because the new artwork has come out. Like Ganondorf hasn't been in what, a game daddy? for 17 years. Yeah, he's like thick and so jacked, and everyone's like, I can get in trouble for saying this. Dot dot dot, and then don't say anything, but just like show a photo. People want to get banged by Ganondorf. Yeah, Ganondorf. Ganondorf. Is what like is with the, like all of these like fans? It's like that's so close to Gandalf. You're right. Everything ends up with an erf or alf. It must <sighs> just be something about the way Elvish people live their lives or True. whatever. Anyway, is he an elf? Yeah, he's no, got the ears. He's not an elf. Oh, I know. I knew <laughs> he's, that. At least in Ocarina of Time, he's a Gerudo. He's like one of the only males in an all-female clan. He's but he has a he has an elfish vibe. Well, like Link does. They have kind of like pointy yeah, ears. That's what yeah, I mean. Like, it's like it's right. elf. It's like bow and arrow. It's Orlando Bloom and <laughs> Lord, Lord of the Rings ish. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's adjacent for sure. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's my little rant. I'm cool. so excited. I hope there are others out there that are. It's an amazing experience. Video games to me are the ultimate form of entertainment. You get music, you get interaction, you get puzzle, you get cinematic, you get gameplay. It's just like, what more could you ask for? And Story. I've never played a video game, so let's move on. Okay. okay. <laughs> oh, what did we learn this week? You go first. Four okay, work speaking, week. yeah. Speaking we, of needing good, more we're, time. We're good at this. Yeah, I don't. we don't do it officially, but, in but we kind do. of unofficially. <laughs> yeah. we do. Like, every Friday comes around and we're just like, well, it's 1 p.m. We're done. <laughs> and then even Monday comes and it's like, well, I'm not ready. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, so we cut half of Friday and half of Monday probably. But we are like uh, the official YouTubers who don't don't like work, who don't want to grow. And who <laughs> <laughs> there's probably others out there, but we just don't know them. I know. They're not the ones being like, how? Yeah, they're not Thrust making content. Into, yeah. yeah. Okay. So there's new evidence coming in on the four-day work week, whether it's good or bad, how it impacts people in society. So this study was looking at a three-day weekend um and there's different versions but this one was like eight hours a week because some people suggest four-day work weeks but you add it to 10 hours so it's like you know the same boo, amount of hours but boo. just spread across less days this one's actually like no we're just cutting out a day keeping it an eight hour work week um they tracked people with fitbit trackers for 13 months over this period and what they found is that people displayed more active healthy behaviors when they were on holiday or their three-day weekend um even yeah sorry they were tracking their holidays but even over their three-day weekend they were like being so much healthier it was 13 percent more moderate to vigorous physical activity each day uh, they were five percent less sedentary or 29 minutes a day less sedentary and they slept four percent more each day or 21 minutes more every single day um yeah, they reported less stress, burnout, fatigue, as well as better mental health and improved work-life balance. And the study provides empirical evidence that people have healthier lifestyle patterns when they have a short break. 
Yeah, I was kind of like waiting for like it to be like, and they do more work. And then I realized like, why does that matter? It should matter that they're healthier. And totally. Like, they, yeah. There are a lot yeah. of studies in this that range do say that they have do said like, work. not, yeah. not or no, the same more, amount. they're equally as productive and yeah. sometimes more productive yeah. because they're not just like killing time, feeling drained and like wasting their time. When you have less time, you're like, I got to use this time, um, which I think is interesting. And it's an interesting conversation because... Um, you know, whenever this kind of stuff comes out, some people are like, you're going to ruin society if you just like keep cutting down. But like that's always happening from sort of like the ruling or ownership class is always like, no, like it used to be like yeah. you work seven days a week, then six days a week, then five. And every time there's like this pushback of like people are just going to be lazy and do nothing. But it's like, isn't this what we want? Like we promise that no, techno- rich, rich people don't want. That. No, I know that's what rich people, oh. especially who are like, I want my employees to, I want to like get every drop of juice out of them that I possibly can. Whoa. Good, but, good rich person impression. Yeah. Uh, it's giving Ganondorf Dorf Dorf. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I just think it's like, of course we should be happy. This is a sign. I saw someone say it, on Reddit, a comment on this study, and they were like, shouldn't this be a widely accepted measure of human progress, like growing nutrition or literacy or something? It's like, yeah, having to work less should be a sign of a society that's like thriving. Well, it is. Isn't it like Scandinavia that does it? Yeah, but people still have a really hard time letting go of it. It feels like if you're working less, like we're so conditioned to believe that working fulfills an ultimate purpose. I know that it's when we stop working, even on an individual level, like you feel sort of existential, like what I'm just supposed to relax more. I'm just supposed to not do something. Um, you know, well, I don't think everyone feels that that's what, no, but a lot of people I feel lost because I think we're conditioned from birth to always be working, whether that's school. Someone listened to Alan Watts yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> I listened to that too. I'm like, that's like what he's like. And you're conditioned from birth to start. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like stole that from Alan. No, yeah, been, I've true. been listening to him say that for years. Yeah. And it's just, it is true. We are like truly conditioned to like keep going and reaching for something. And every time we get there, we're, we're always like, wait, I don't feel any better. Well, so I'm you do keep definitely chasing for a goal. It has to be regulated by the government. So therefore the society has to be wealthy enough to like, it does make sense that it's a sign of progress in a mm. society to mandate this. Like yeah. that is very, whoa, side note. Is that a problematic turd? What about a woman date? Oh, I hate you. <laughs> but like to mandate this from the top, I feel like it does mean that you have to be wealthy you have to have as a country and the government yeah. willing to do it. Cause it is like a specific type of risk that is like maybe, but as a, as a governing body that's meant to look out for the welfare of your citizens, yeah. if working seven days a week, also that's how you get elected. Are you kidding? I'm going to make a four day right, work. But week, ironically, you don't necessarily oh. because there's so many forces and like conditioning and propaganda around why people need to work more. But I all mean, I'm saying some is people that, I mean, it is some people like, some people really, all they talk about is work. They must like it. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Because without it, what are you? Yeah. Especially in Western culture. Yeah. Like, we truly are raised to be like, without your work, what are you? Yeah. Like, people always have those conversations. Like, I don't know how true this is. But, like, for many Europeans, they won't necessarily ask, like, what do you do for work when you meet somebody? Like, if you're European, just know that we 
totally fetishize you yeah. over here. Like, we're like, we're like, actually in Europe, they have really small fridges and they walk to get their bread and eggs oh. every day and then they eat it and then they clean their fridge every night and it's empty well, and it's somebody perfect, perfect, perfect. was telling us about this and then I saw a TikTok about this. Okay, Mitch, I know I'm making... No, no, not that, but I, oh. I'm saying like, this was so cool. I saw the TikTok where they were like, they literally have bars at playgrounds right beside almost every playground. I don't know if this was in Spain or something. It was talking about how like life in this place in Europe off often is structured around like coincidental interaction. Like in North America, or at least here in Canada, we have to like schedule hangouts. But there they're like, you bring your kids to the playground and there's literally like a cafe and a bar nearby. So like yeah. parents you see every single if day. If you're you European, we think that beside every playground there is a bar Someone and a cafe. on TikTok was like, that's what I love about Europe. <laughs> I know, I, I miss know. so much about coming I know. to America. <laughs> I know, but that was like a affluent woman from Madrid. And like, I'm sure Madrid <laughs> is very well designed, but I'm Fair. saying like, I know it's I'm not also everywhere. making a point that like we... Do hey, the love. Grinch is here today. No, I'm saying I'm, I'm trying to make a joke that like it's funny because I picture Europe as this thing. And then d- I do show up in Europe sometimes. And I'm like, damn, it's Americanized. Like they are like, yeah, it isn't course. it isn't people from the Europe pressure to work other more places. is also there yeah. as well. Yeah. And it's also Europe is a huge like there's yeah. so many cultures within it. But yeah, no, that's true. Like I, I do think there should be <laughs> anyway, these four day work on tap next to a playground <laughs> and going back to four day work week. These studies are popping up all over the world and kind of coming to the same conclusion that less work is healthier physically for people and often produces just as productive results. And you're right. We might be like, obviously, if you're like managing a farm, it might be different because there's days when I don't know, like, but so many of us do a certain kind of work for the farm managers. But even then, it's like, (laughs) that's probably like so much more physically exhausting. You just need more people to manage over a shorter period. I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say other than many different countries find the same results that less work is better for people. Yeah. And if as a government you're meant to look after your citizens, this is a way to do it. It'll be cool if in the future it becomes just normal and everyone's mm-hmm. like, remember when you worked five days a week? Like, that sucked. And we're like, yeah, yeah. we might literally talk Oh, but then you're going to get the whole, like, ugh, eye roll argument about people who don't want to get rid of student debt because, like, theirs wasn't taken exactly. away. Like, all the, like, older... I'm yeah, going to yeah. say boomers, but at this point will be the boomers. Yeah. But like, I don't want us millennials to be like, we had to work five days yeah, a week. So, so it's not they fair. should have to. Exactly. That's going to happen. Like even think about how people talk about, Oh, that's so annoying. People <laughs> are annoying. Okay. But they're also beautiful and they're complex. And we love watching movies about the really idiosyncrasies of the human spirit. <laughs> okay. What did you learn this week? Um, well, it's bird watching time. So that's all I do is sit outside and look at birds. But it's a little early. So I'm kind of like, okay, I guess I'll talk about robins. Because <laughs> they're here. And turns out they never left. So I'm talking about Toronto. This is about wintering robins. Because a lot of people have noticed that they see robins in the winter. And they're like, the F is going on. Because robins are supposed to be the sign, first sign of spring. Mm-hmm. Like that they come back. Like you start seeing them so much. Yeah. So due to climate change, there's a rise in wintering robins, but they actually have always done this because Toronto, for example, even though there are harsh winters, robins, what they'll do is they'll go into the ravine systems and they'll hide and they'll like eat snow for water mm-hmm. and they'll shiver and they'll deal by eating berries and other things that do exist in Toronto in the winter. Mm-hmm. And they'll, they've made the decision that they think it's less risky than the migration, which is also risky. But they're not like consciously making this decision. Well, it's birds. It's like 
you're reading the animal book. You can't, we can't ever yeah, put that on okay, them, but yeah. they've always been doing. But it. yeah, okay, I see. There's always been wintering robins in Toronto for as long as people have been measuring them. That's kind of what I learned because I assumed it, it was just climate change. Mm. But climate change is causing the number of robins that stay to increase. I see. So previously, some would stay, yeah. but some would like migrate. Yeah, to there's always places. kind of, it was a myth okay. that robins. Like, like we're a migrate. first sign of spring from the get-go. Got they, it. They were you could see here. them through winter, but now but, it's just more frequent. Yeah, and one of the best things you can do if you care for these pe- these people, whoops, um, birds, <laughs> is a heated bird bath in the winter because uh-huh. the hardest thing for them is the amount of energy that they have to spend trying to stay warm, like shivering, puffing up their feathers. They have to eat a lot of food. And so if you put out a, a heated bird bath, if you're rich, if you're one of the people demanding five days a week from your workers... <laughs> You can buy them, and that is like very helpful, especially if you live near a ravine. Imagine being willing to like take care of birds and let them live their best life, but not allowing that for people. Oh, that is truly every <laughs> rich person. I with know. Patagonia they're like, no problem vest. that my dog just lives his best life and does nothing, but like a human wants an extra day off. No way. That's a serious issue. <laughs> yeah. I think like a like uh, like. Yeah, people, people love people, animals. It's the same we've talked about before. It's the same reason they love babies. They're, they're like apolitical. They don't have any opinion on anything. It's yeah. easy to like control them. Well, we're going to be talking about that today, actually. Biophilia and biophobia is directly mm-hmm. related to that. And I mm-hmm. bet. Oh, that's actually so interesting. Because right, we'll they do think later. biophobia is it's it's about your access to nature, which comes with wealth. Yeah. Whew, that's interesting. But yeah, no, I was just learning about wintering robins. Uh, probably every what I learned this week for the next month and a half is going to be about birds because they're coming back and it's so exciting and know what is the opposite of working bird watching you should do it <laughs> it's like uh, robins yeah. are great too like th- despite people thinking they're just kind of like normal at least here they're so like normal i realized they're they beautiful. actually have such beautiful songs like they're, they're so really complex beautiful. singing chip cheery you jam on cho- to <laughs> is that what they say like it's chip chip cheerio jam on toast. Like that's the like pattern. Of Every that. single bird watcher is like, oh yeah, the northern flicker. It's a there we go down to the boat and a whoop whoop whippity woo. And I'm like, that's what? not catchy at all. Like in no way, chip chip cheerio jam on toast. That's not gonna stay in your head. Yeah, but actually it might. I had to focus. Like chip chip cheerio chip 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 cheerio jam on toast like and then also sometimes they'll say it i love that you're like singing it though well what is it chip cheerio jam on toast well i don't chip cheerio jam on toast yeah i know that's what i mean even people will say they'll be like oh wow yeah the gorgeous place bird name here and they'll do the little noise and then you'll hear the bird right after and you'll be like that's nothing the same like it's just so desperate. It's like, we're not birds and yeah. we'll maybe never be able to just like do a bird. Last side note that'll take one second. That reminds me of how different cultures use different words to express like animal noises. So even though like, I don't have any real examples, but obviously like where we're from, you would say like Roar. moo for a cow or rough for a dog yeah. or like those kind of things. And oh, then yeah. you hear like from cultures all across the world that they're using a different word, but you can go like, oh, they are right. Like there is another yeah. way to interpret it, but our brains just interpret it I the way we were told. I think rough is pretty good. Ruff. Yeah, but it's funny when you hear other ones and then you're like, that's interesting. And meow. Meow. Roar. <laughs> Roar is pretty weak. They don't go like, rawr. Yeah, yeah. And birds chirp, chirp. I guess like yeah. chicken, like baby chicken. Maybe I'm gonna, my next, what do you learn this week? I want to go find a list of like yeah, what they are cool. for the cultures. All right, are we ready to move into biophobia? <laughs> you bet we are. Okay, let's do it. Yeah. 
thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Study time. Study time. Study time. Study time. Today we're talking about biophobia, which is the aversion or aversive response such as fear or disgust that people can show towards natural stimuli, settings, or situations. Essentially, the fact that people are starting to fear nature more and more. So new surveys are coming in finding that this is an increased issue. And the reason it can be harmful is that if you fear nature, you might not want to preserve it. You might not believe in climate change. And they're under they're trying to understand why this is increasing in our societies. And today we're going to talk about a variety of like reasons why. Also biophilia, which is the opposite, which is like the fact that you're drawn towards nature. And there's even a biophilia hypothesis, which is that as humans, we might only really be interested in living things like why do we love trees over rocks and things like that Hmm. biophilia is also them both being like natural yeah rocks we're more drawn to living versions yes it's a hypothesis that has like scientists and philosophers interested Mm -hmm. in but it's not able to be like proven like it's not like it's a real thing in any way and there's also a bjork album called biophilia yeah (laughs) just so you know and um like in general, biophilia is the idea that just on the broad scale, humans have a natural affinity for it. Not only that, we've seen through research that like a connection and access to nature has like great health benefits and yes. other as- associated benefits for humans. So outside of like our desire to conserve it, it's actually also like good for us. Yeah. So like if, if we're having more biophobia, that might self-perpetuate negative consequences on humans at large yeah so that's like an important thing to be studying <laughs> there was a one study i read about people who were recovering from surgery i mean it was old it was from the 90s i mean like <laughs> the clinton years it hello. Was too. hello that was a weird time where everyone was like life's good let's just extract <laughs> shit from the earth anyways and it was just people recovering from surgery and when they had windows and access to looking at trees from inside a hospital bed they recovered faster and needed less pain meds and called nurses less often than people who didn't have windows to outside. Mm. 
I mean, like, uh, anecdotally, I'm like, not that I would know that I would heal faster, but I obviously do feel better, like, surrounded by nature. It's, it's so all, nice to have a walk through a park. That's all I do. <laughs> it's all I do now because it's like, well, I'm based on all the research I've ever done for the last 10 years for ASAP Science, it's like, mm, go to nature. That's the only answer. Truly. Yeah. Other than antibiotics, if you have a bacterial infection. <laughs> but even then, you're like going to nature in some ways. To fix it? Like a bacteria? Yeah, like it's a fungus that's like oh, part yeah, of nature yeah, yeah. being used to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, okay. Well, before we fully jump in, I'm curious about your perspective, and I'll talk about mine too, on biophobia. And if you feel that you have any elements of biophobia, I feel like you grew up in a family that was like super connected to nature, but... Are there parts of nature that you are afraid of or feel I like? I think I've worked on it for so long. I used to hate spiders. Like, so scared of spiders. I mean, that's my example of biophobia. <laughs> no, but, like, it was like a really It was one. serious because I was like, well, I'm going to be in the woods. Like, this is horrifying. What's under this leaf? Mm-hmm. And I used to put tarantula photos underneath my <laughs> desk and I would pull them out in order to scream and wake myself up when I was trying to study late into the night because I was such a need. <laughs> but then I had, cra- yeah, insane experiences where I've been around so many spiders that I truly feel desensitized. And I actually think my evolving into loving nature, which I think came in like my early or mid-20s, I've now over spiders because I'm like, they are a part of nature. I'm able to not allow the fear to take over because I've had this epiphany but i don't think i think i was a little not biophobic but i didn't appreciate nature like when in my early 20s i was too busy like getting absolutely wasted and caring (laughs) about like the band justice and like wearing like and like being like kanye west is a genius or whatever i mean like young people are especially tapped into culture like human culture and so yeah in that sense all not all, but often removed from nature. I would, I felt the same way. I feel like as you age, you connect more with nature. But my parents took me on like legit camping trips as a kid. That's some of my earliest memories. I was a camp counselor. So I, I feel like I can't actually relate to the issue of biophobia the way we're going to talk about it today because I was just so, it was so in me from mm-hmm. a young age from my parents. Whereas I guess for you, maybe it was different. Like, Well, it's weird. Well, first I'll say from a scientific like theory perspective, there is like the idea that biophilia, the good kind or the like for nature is good, like we said, but biophobia may still have a role, right? Like obviously being afraid of something that could hurt you. Like spiders, mice, things like that. Even just like a big, a scary line. Like there's a reason to have some fear around these things. And so quote, it's not like unnatural to have biophobia. It's what, to what degree and are we perpetuating it beyond where it's useful? Um, it's weird because when I was really young, I was not afraid of nature at all. Like we would, I lived in the country. We would like collect praying mantises and spiders. We yeah. had little bug um, like cages or whatever that we would like go out and play with bugs. And I was just like not afraid to handle them. And then maybe some point around like seven or eight or nine, hmm. I started to be afraid. But I have really weird memories of just like n- having zero fear. And I feel like maybe kids, it shows you that kids are kind of conditioned. Well, it said that kids are the most important age group to to like talk to about biophobia yeah or to deal with the issue of growing biophobia that the most impressionable and important times is when you're a kid and that it's like this is why you need to have 
education where people go into parks mm-hmm. and education where people go and learn about the world around them in not a fearful way. Like the idea of like bear attacks on TikTok and stuff right. like that. Like scientists are like, this is damaging for kids to see sensationalized versions. Yeah. Kids shouldn't see cocaine bear. Well, well I mean, like, that's like even think of Jaws. Like most people yes, do not yes, have an yeah. experience Jaws with is problematic and Jaws is canceled. It, it, it actually <laughs> is problematic. I'm really afraid of sharks. Obviously, yeah. most people are. But you see people who are shark enthusiasts or shark experts being like, your chance of being attacked by a shark. Oh are yeah, like that's why people low. are against Shark Week because it's like it glorifies yeah, like yeah. The, the violent nature of a hunting animal. Yeah, and it is it is which of tr- course you you should be uh, like careful. Like you don't want to just like jump around. If you see a shark swimming around, you probably don't want to go in the water. But obviously, everyone's like in Cancun, like mm, you can't get in the water. And everyone's like, there's not great white sharks here. Yeah. Like, it's like the amount of fear that like people have of gorgeous ocean water where where there's a not that many great white sharks yeah. like you'll know when you have to be worried about a great white shark there will be signs and you won't like jaws is pro- jaws is problematic it is because think about it this way like oftentimes people think that it's their experiences that define the way they react in the world but that is wholly information from other yeah. people that has conditioned you to believe something like I don't have any direct experiences with sharks. Yeah. I've seen videos maybe at, at most like on a beach, I've seen, seen a fin far away when we were like in Florida or something, but I've never like seen a shark. Cool. I know lots of people have, but, um, so the only reason I'm scared is because people have told me to. Be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that, I was thinking about and sensationalized stories about the dangers of nature are, way more interesting than being like oh i went on a hike yesterday and felt absolutely at one yeah. and peace of course with your everything mind is around be me gripped with like the image of a shark eating some yeah other creature. exactly so it's like that is just something that everyone needs to be aware like could be damaging to people's ability to like go into nature which we now know is so important i was thinking about how i am still afraid of spiders i i i'm way less than i used to be like if i see a spider in our house now i usually i'm just like i'll just leave it alone like if it's like in my bed or something well we went um, canoeing the other day and you were just like Aah. yeah but i didn't kill it i didn't try to kill it i was just like if it's on me i'm gonna freak out yeah yeah but i don't want to like kill it anymore yeah. um but just before doing this pod i was like thinking you know it is interesting i'm weirdly still afraid of them I've never been bitten by a spider. Like maybe yeah. in my sleep. Sometimes I wake up and I'm like, oh, what is that bite? And people will be like, oh, it's two dots. It was a spider, right? That is a hor- That is also horrifying. It's like, yeah. maybe it's two zits. <laughs> maybe let's just say it's exactly. two zits. But never like in my wakeful experience have I like had no. a spider on me and been bitten. All I'm not saying it doesn't happen to people, but it's like most of us actually do. I've lived 35 years on this planet and never been bitten by a spider while I was conscious. So it's like, why am I so afraid of that? I don't even like. No one has except for like Peter Parker, like or people like, who like play with them or whatever. No, I'm like, just like no. Like I'm I even sh- yeah. It's so rare. It's truly Spider Man. It's like the only time I've ever. And we seen live it. in a part of the world where we, we mostly do not need to be. Like I'm sure there are some people who are like, well, I live where there are spiders that can actually kill you, so it's more worthwhile for me to like stay away. Yeah. But where we are, it's like we're not gonna get poisoned by no, spiders. No. Um. Or like bitten with their venom or whatever. Um, so, but I think you were probably just... scared from like the media, mm-hmm. from like uh, it is an innate instinct as yeah. well. Like we know that there's like disgust. Like we are disgusted by the taste of mold because it could be dangerous. Right. Like it's not that it's that aspect of biophobia isn't even that isn't isn't even that big a deal. It's okay to be afraid of spiders mm. and mice. But what it's actually 
the research is more talking about is that the inability to go and want to go into nature right. is what biophobia is more about. Like when people don't have access to green space, like parks, this is why it is like a socioeconomic issue. And stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. As cities become more dense and parks are not protected properly, then you, you get these, mega cities where they don't, there isn't access to green space. And this is creating biophobia because people are now only getting exposed to nature on their like devices, which might be like bear attacks mm -hmm. <laughs> or they just don't know. They don't feel comfortable. They feel comfortable in a city. They feel, they don't feel comfortable in nature. And then therefore they feel less interested in like, why do we need to conserve it? Like who cares about animals if we don't ever see them? Mm -hmm. But that's a socioeconomic issue in a place like Toronto because people like, the high park, my favorite park in the world in Toronto is surrounded by affluence. And a lot of these places where parks are actually protected are surrounded like by expensive. affluence. And a lot of the more densely populated places house more people who are poor in cities. And that is another reason why like urban development needs to take this into consideration, protect parks and ensure that if there's high amounts of density with the lack of green space. How do we get that green space back in there? Yeah. Cause a people will be happier, but B people will become less biophobic and then therefore will be more interested in conservation and all these things that we need for like the world in order to stay safe. It, it just seems like such a clear issue with such a clear solution that is so sad about how parks. Like it, well, I'm just thinking of like wealth disparity and how, yeah, you think about, parks and how it is affluent people who get to live on parks near parks yeah everything's so expensive and it's just like so sad i don't know what i'm trying to say exactly yeah, what are you trying to say well i don't know it's just like i am just why, like, yeah, why can't parks? we <laughs> it's so obvious to me that we should put effort and money into like evening that out like yeah looking into like lower income neighborhoods and literally being like how do we prioritize green spaces as well okay. as affordability so this is the this is the thing so i'm in an urban natural so one of the things that like is so important is called naturalist walks and they do these with kids and and in gardening if you even just have a small garden even in like an apartment just that can be enough to like help you of course but naturalist walks is like a good one it's like just getting on the transit if you don't live near a park and going to a park and walking around. So now I've been doing this course about how to like be a naturalist and maybe like, you know, lead people on walks. And so it was in high park and you learn about how in the twenties, this giant park was essentially cut down. Everything was like cleared to, cr to grow grass. Cause at the time they were like, we want to sit in a park and like play baseball and they got rid of all of the like nature of the park. Mm. So even though that park was preserved, it wasn't preserved the way like it naturally, naturally tons of animals died. Like habitats were gone. Now they're slowly trying to bring it back, but it's really hard because even in a park, you still have humans wanting specific things like a baseball diamond mm -hmm. or like, certain types of outdoor yes, like, like environments. Exactly. So like we are saying that it's really important to go on like a hike and be in nature, be surrounded by native plants, butterflies, birds, things like that. Cause we know what that means to people. A lot of people are not interested in that. Even right. if they had access to it, if they right. think of a park, they think of green grass, like a big a, field, a with big field and like a blanket. Which and, Okay, which isn't a, bad. Which yeah, isn't I will bad. say that's still a step above nothing, yes. above, above above like just like a concrete playground. Yeah, right? but it shows you like the yeah. complexity of like the parks that were preserved, 
And th- and then, sorry, to go even further, if you look at an, a part of Toronto that is like poorer and there's no green space, what are you doing then? Tearing down housing? To, right. Like, How it's do you really start to hard. fit yes. a park somewhere? Yeah. Yes. So it's yeah, really it's more about, about like, like the future of like how you map out and design the rest of the city or they are preserving and preserving green space. Like that is also like really menacing when a park or something is now being like taken over by even like single house, like, like development of like what Doug Ford's trying to do, creating like these like large homes that aren't going to house these many people over the green belt. That's Mm -hmm. absolutely evil. That is like the worst thing that you could ever do as a politician because it's not even like he's creating density or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, but I think it's all tied in. Like, as much as I agree with you that lots of people don't love nature, I do think it is exposure, right? Yes, and that's what yeah. I, the study I had gone through is like, how does this pathway begin and self-perpetuate? Biophobia. Yeah. And I think I think most people do actually like nature. There are elements. Most people don't like bug bites. People don't love to be like sweaty outside. Yeah. Don't like to feel uncomfortable and yeah. like in a like having to go through the bush and like get scratches or whatever. Like, so it's important to realize like, how can we make people comfortable in nature, but still expose them to it? So we're not saying everyone, like, I don't think it's fair to be like, no, everyone has to experience nature the way I do. I want to go rough it in camp and like sleep on the ground. And that's (laughs) that's fair that not everyone likes that. But I do think at the core, most people do enjoy being would would enjoy being at high park and walking through a groomed forest yeah. where there's lots of space it doesn't feel buggy it's not like quote unquote gross or muddy all the time um so i think at the core that's there and just to quickly go back to what i was trying to articulate earlier i think at, we all know and agree that like nature does and should belong to everyone and should be afforded to everyone almost like a human right like nobody thinks that a rich person deserves more nature but then that's why it's so sad that affluence affords more nature. yeah totally because we're like in the same way we can all agree everyone deserves clean water it is literally the same problem and then places that don't have clean water it's like that's really messed up that we all know fundamentally everybody should be given this with no problem yeah. But it's like our cities and our structures are not um, upheld to like support that. And it reminds me of how you talked about, I, like you always say this is true about the TDSB and how like funding like inversely proportionally goes to schools. So schools that are in neighborhoods that would like be lower income will get higher funding and schools that are in neighborhoods that are high income would not need as much funding. So they would get less. Yeah. And it just seems like that principle is beautiful and helping to even things out and yeah. should be thought about in this way as well. When you yeah. design a city, yes, it's unavoidable in some ways. You have affluence. We live under a capitalist society. You're going to have rich people. You're going to have poor people. You're going to have people in the middle. How do you use those funds to balance that out in ways to protect your citizens Yeah, and like help them thrive? Well, biophilia, like the love of nature is interesting because now I was reading how that's been defined in two ways. One is like, protecting nature and the other is saving nature so one is more like this human sort of like we must save nature because it's like depleting whereas like the other one is that we just need to live in tandem with nature because it is here and will always be here and we both scenarios acknowledge that humans have had a huge negative impact on like the natural world but it is interesting to be like yeah we do need to live in tandem with nature like we need to protect the parks that we already have is like probably 
the most important biophilic thing mm-hmm. to do. Like right now it's like, cause yeah. the idea of like that being, at least is like quote unquote stopping the bleeding. Right. Yes. It's like, that's the first thing you and do is like, we the, can help people thrive, but first we need to like protect the thing from going away in the first it, place. Yeah. And sometimes I find that like people make it too more complicated than it needs to be when they're like, we need to save and like, it's like, we need to think of this new technology that's going to do this thing. It's like, no, you just need to like protect the park. Yeah. <laughs> and like when I was in High Park, I was like learning about how High Park is considered a black oak savanna. So because if it was left alone, it would be a sparse smattering of black oak trees and then a lot of low lying grasses and very sandy soil because it used to be under a lake like 15,000 years, not that long ago. And that is like the perfect condition for this part of Toronto where we are to have these like low lying grasses. And then therefore there's tons of butterflies and tons of birds and all the mammals and animals that live there would thrive. And so you're looking at high park. Now there is, it's, it's becoming a black Oak Savannah again. But if you look at the actual like green grass, which is horrible and for all parks and green grass is just bad. And everyone knows that now they're slowly starting to take it back Mm -hmm. with burns and like conservation but that's taking so much effort and time mm-hmm. and like bureaucracy. It's like we have to, to, to live in tandem with nature is still hard. It yeah. still involves quote unquote a lot of saving, work. a lot yeah. of work. Yeah. So and then it, to be like, Oh, let's think of some tech or some like new seed right. or something. And sometimes I'm like, that's so much more complicated than even what we need to do. Just, just like getting the land nature back. be. <laughs> yeah. And essentially just like if you're in Canada being like, Oh, what did indigenous people do yeah. in these parks? It's so, it's so simple, but then people become all like high tech and complicated because mm-hmm. it's more interesting. But it's like, that's what I find sometimes is like frustrating too. It's like just being around nature, conserving it and listening to indigenous people and going back to what it was before truly colonizers came here and then just essentially like put green grass everywhere and then mm-hmm. build things for rich people. It's not, yeah. it's, 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 it's relatively simple. Yeah, no, in that way it is. I mean, yeah, it's, it's all tied up in like, geopolitics of the area and what people want parks to be in of course what we're learning even as like scientists and biologists is always changing and so probably when like high park is beautiful there's lots there's a diversity of trees that they planted it's like feels like a beautiful forest but then you realize you learn like oh it's not a natural forest like it actually wouldn't be this way yeah and only now i think like probably city planners and park planners had the best of intention when they were like, we want to make this beautiful and like put all these trees and make it feel like you can be in nature in the middle of the city. And it's only now that we're realizing actually that's not like the healthiest for this environment. Like you said, like it might look great to humans, but like it's not helping the birds necessarily. It may be hurting other species of insects and like, like butterflies. And it's just like, we didn't know that. And now we do. But the hardest thing is we're always relearning yeah. and, and, and probably 30 more years we'll start to realize, oh shoot, all these things we thought in the 2020s we're realizing is a little outdated. How do we switch it now? Um, but and what the, can you do? It is interesting why looking back at like indigenous cultures practices, how they like took care of the land is like, it's just so funny that that's what comes back now. People are yeah. like, we should have just kept doing that always. I know. I know. And yeah, the hype, we keep talking about high park. Truly it is such a beautiful park in Toronto. Like, it's a little in the West end. If you were a tourist, maybe you wouldn't go, but like go, it's stunning as a bird watcher. It's like so many more birds in that park than when I go like truly to the middle of a forest anywhere. Like it's so amazing, but the, the controlled burns of the land is something indigenous people were always doing. And now they've started to do it in high park, like in the early two thousands. 
And the reason for it is so interesting. And it's that, that the growth of like the grasses that are supposed to be there, the growth point of those grasses is below the ground. Whereas some more invasive grasses or like the horrible green grass that you see planted in parks, the growth point is above the ground. That's why you can lawn mow it. You mm. don't lawn mow it all the way down or it won't grow back. Right. Or it's not above the ground, but it's like at the surface. Yeah. So when they burn these parts of high park, all the like invasive sort of grasses die. Whereas the natural grasses and native grasses, which are below the ground growth points. Right. You're are, basically just trimming and burning off yeah. the top of those. And ones. then those ones come back and then they're right. cutting down the trees that aren't the black oaks and they're slowly building back the savannah. And now they've actually got indigenous people to come and be involved with it. And that was only last year, that but really it's yeah. like, okay, they're just redoing what these indigenous people were doing before colonization mm -hmm. now and realizing through science what they were doing was the right thing to do. Like, right. it's just like, oh yeah. When you learn things like that, it's like, yeah. holy shit. Where you realize there is just like such a breadth of indigenous knowledge and information. Knowledge. And yeah. like, uh, of course, like we love and appreciate science, but it's almost like sometimes it reinvented a new language just to discover the same thing. Exactly. And it's like the people who created that green grass to have a picnic were affluent men of the enlightenment. Mm -hmm. Like it's like, these were these people in a time when people were like, we are the scientists that are still named after wings and science buildings. And the scientists that we still have to like mention when we mention like microorganisms and it, it's just like those are the same people who were doing these things mm -hmm. that didn't understand right that how the nature works yeah yeah like it's yeah it's, it's just like different i know it's so fascinating to think about how different cultures know different things and think about things like science is a form of a culture and an approach to discovering things but I'm, I was saying I saw a TikTok, but it was really interesting because <laughs> it was like commenting on people being like, the pyramids must have been made by aliens. How could you move these bricks that are like X many tons, like the size of of minivan across whatever? And then there's like a video of a guy showing this really simple technique that's just like using clever math by uh, putting a stick on the rock and like a tiny little rock under it in a certain way that if you start spinning it, it moves this way and you need like one person to push it. Hmm. And you're like they used solutions that they had available to them. They didn't have machines, so they had to think this about it in a different way. This is the ancient Egyptians. Oh, okay. I was this, like, in this context, it's that. I was just saying how so many people look at it and go, they didn't have tractors. They didn't have these giant machines that mm. could pull these rocks. Yeah. But then someone goes, no, because they didn't have that, they had to like come up with these really ingenious solutions. And I feel the same way about like North American indigenous knowledge. How yeah. it's like, yeah, okay, they didn't understand that like, maybe that bacteria was a microscopic organisms like that could get you infected, but they had to see the world in a totally different way and discover it with the tools they had. And as a result, they have like what it to us is almost invisible, like an invisible type of knowledge because we're not looking for it because we look at everything to a, through a different technological lens. And, and biophobia is like directly linked to colonization and capitalism as they study it mm -hmm. now, because it is linked to, lack of green space which is a product yeah. of capitalism and a product of consumerism like a lack of interest and in population nature. growth to be honest like i think a bigger challenge to not bigger but a big part of the challenge is like what using toronto as an example of high park it's like population density is higher and higher yeah. and people didn't realize until now that parks were so important yeah. i think and like it's only becoming harder because it's so dense. Like we, like you said, it's harder to add a new park somewhere now that's yeah. not on the outskirts that's why, of town. Yeah, 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 yeah. So 
it's important that we know to like protect the things we but have. You, but, but you can, you can add mm-hmm. new parks. You can, they did mm-hmm. like Point Pelee Park, the national park that I went to, to birdwatch last year was the government realizing how integral it was mm-hmm. to migrating birds, buying back the government paid and bought people's private homes to build parks. Yeah. They did that in the, for, uh, in Vancouver, like for the Olympics, they want to do like, like it is possible, especially when you think about affluent people living in these giant homes with not many people yeah like that those are well, areas where you could buy back yeah. small populations to build parks and density yeah like it's so important whoa, it's why these kinds that. of studies are so <laughs> important though because the sad thing that we know is that capitalism will never make the right decision unless it's yeah. a monetizable decision so explain Even, how the biophobia goes through well okay stages. so the pa- this is like I, I will. I know people have been asking on YouTube for us to like link the studies in the description. I'll do that for this thing going forward. We'll put them there. Um, I'm just going to give like a brief overview of the p- proposed pathway through this study. Of course, they link like out to so many other studies to prove their points. You know what I mean? Yeah. By being like this study, this study, this study showed that this is actually um, statistically the likelihood of this reason. So I'm just going to be saying like the broad points, but mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to like succinctly say it with all the extra data. But basically there's four main points. So it's like, as we said earlier, information is the first thing that leads to phobia. Like you learn about things. You're told to be afraid of spiders. Like you don't have pers- firsthand experience or it could be firsthand experience. Like, but even like, um, I don't know. Sometimes like it feels like you get into a conversation with people and it becomes about like a crazy devastating totally. story. Like I always think about how you were told about a dog ju- like jumping yeah. off of a cliff or fall on a hike. Yeah. And so now it's like when we go on hikes, you're so scared with our dog. Mm. And I'm like, that is, that is an example of like how biophobia, like someone tells a story about yeah. a friend who was camping and a bear attacked. Yeah. And then it's like, it's weird to think that those stories can actually be really detrimental mm-hmm. when they're just having a fun chat. They're with so someone. pervasive. Yeah. Yeah. Cause no one's talking about the beauty of nature in the same yeah. way. It's and that kind of story is so much more like, obviously that one was tragic, but there's other versions that might just be extreme, but funny Yeah, or be extreme, but like, so a great story. Cause you were like made it through and got bit by a million mosquitoes. And then there's the funny. jaws and the anacondas yeah. and the like cocaine bears and the TikToks of the bear. Like then there's all that. So that's mm-hmm. like the beginning, the information that you're yeah. getting. And then, so the second, so the second point is phobia leads to avoidance. These might seem obvious, but again, the study did a really good job of laying it out and going to link studies that show like once people have a phobia, there's evidence to show that they are way less likely to go into those areas. Yeah. And they're also more likely to support efforts that will like potentially harm those areas. Yeah. So like, like with sharks, like people don't want sharks or don't want dangerous animals in their neighborhoods. So they might support policies that like cut back forests that have bears in them or, you know what I mean? Like support removing natural environments because they're like, oh, there's coyotes here and we don't want our kids and our dogs to be hurt by coyotes. Mm-hmm, so like mm-hmm. this park should be removed or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's just a random example. Um, then avoidance leads to disconnect. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. They call it the extinction of experience. Of nature. Yeah. So like as you're removed from it, you fully disconnect with nature. Um, and that is where like true biophobia starts and perpetuates. And then you like kind of start creating this cycle. Now you're like fully disconnected and afraid yeah. of it. Um, and it's, this is, this one's linked to urbanization. So it's like obviously a loss of biodiversity, um, greater uptake of sedentary pastimes, such as watching television, playing computer games, online activities, 
that impacts like our disconnect from the natural world. And that's part of like this urbanization and like being in cities and only being surrounded by things. They also were thinking technology too. Like the idea of like how addicted we all are to our phones is just another example of hours in the day being taken away from nature. Like, yeah. Cause when we were like, even when we were kids, it's like, you would just have to go outside and play. Yeah. And like even before, like a hundred years before us, it's like, yeah, outside was like where you had fun. Yeah. Instead of just inside on a phone or a computer or a TV. Um, it is funny because I feel like all this research that we've done for so long, it's like when I am sad, I'm like, okay, get on the subway and go to High Park. Like it is so real and mm-hmm. it works. And like bird watching, that's the only reason I do it. It's like I'm not getting anything other out of it other than pure happiness. I think it's important to give a disclaimer for anyone who's listening that is like, you know what, I'm going to try and expose myself to nature. To me, it's similar to like going to the gym or changing your diet. It's not always better at first. Hmm. Like you might have phobias and then being in nature might actually be an uncomfortable experience. I'm trying to think of like our relationship. I feel like there was tension at the beginning. Probably. Yeah. Like you were like, I wasn't as exposed. So I have more fear. Yeah. And and, and the fear I found like really hard to deal with because a, I kind of thought you like because I wasn't scared of the things you were scared of at the time, like I couldn't even fathom it. I was yeah. getting like angry because you're just like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, and then it was also like, it's just interesting because it's like people are going to be coming at this from such different places. I didn't understand that I was like maybe more biophilic because as a kid I was just like forced into nature it, yeah. more. Yeah, it's you're like just that's like, a good way I... of thinking about it. Like, oh, you've never this scares you even though i'm looking at it and thinking it's the most un so totally the safest most beautiful thing yeah I think it was, that's it was hard why it's important just for like knowing that you can't just throw much like exercise if you throw someone in like it's still good but it feels like shit when you yeah. first start running or you first start lifting weights like it takes a while to your body's actually like oh i i'm getting the yeah. endorphins and, so and it's now, in knowledge like i find sometimes like because i'm learning so much more about like mm-hmm native species like this week in the course i was learning about snakes like i've actually never thought about a snake (laughs) like like i just haven't and then the knowledge of the thing makes the thing so much more exciting so it's like oh it like gives you a deeper connection yeah like i remember walking through parks all the time and for sure i probably walked through a park quickly when i first started reading about this when i was 25 and was like great i feel better i walked through a park but i didn't like absorb anything but Mm. now that i'm like spending time learning what everything is and how it all works. Then when you walk through a park, it's like, whoa, it's mm-hmm. like that much more. Holy shit. There's that. Like anything, That's right. You yeah. Start yeah. to be like, it, but it takes, it's, it's like, you can't just like, sh- I'm just saying, yeah, say someone listens, shows like up in a park, growing like, a muscle literally in yeah. terrain. And it's like your connection. And even like when you first start working out, eventually you go like, people will say like, you know, retract your back or do this position. And it takes a while until you're like, Oh my God, I've never had control of that muscle yeah. before until I've been here for months now. Another thing is, is physical activity. Now that it's spring, summer, fall, mm-hmm. like I'm now thinking, okay, I don't want to go to a gym. I'm going to go run outside. Yeah. Like things like that are also easy beginning things. It's like, Oh, yeah. you're a runner. Look do on your, yeah. maybe get on the subway with your running shoes and running. Go, on, go to a park, make your run in that park mm-hmm. and come back as opposed to running straight from your house. Right. Like, and I, I see people do that in high park. It's interesting yeah. when I take the subway now in the morning, there's go people on the park. subway doing their little fake run <laughs> thing. Cause they're just like getting their body amped. Cause they're about to run in high park. I'm like, okay, that's, that's cool. That's an, that's obviously for them a much more enjoyable mm-hmm. run than, through a bunch of streets and yeah. stuff. Like I think there's incremental things because it is 
hard. It is so related to socioeconomic issues, which I think you brought up earlier. So frustrating. Like in a place like Toronto, the people who have a lot of money are like affluent white people who have cottages. Mm -hmm. Like it's crazy how that's actually a really sad, Mm -hmm. um, realization that like to get access to what I think is the most beautiful part of the world, which is the lake systems above Toronto for the most part is private land mm-hmm. owned by affluent. Yeah. Like you can't just people who have go generational you need wealth. like a yeah. home on a lake to have yeah. access to it. I yeah. know. And I know that there's like actual courses that you can take about how the history of that, like the history of like it's development Na- and, and even what we're doing now by being like nature is so important and it makes you happy and it's so important to become one with nature and how that has been like hijacked by affluent white people who don't realize their affluence is what's affording them the ability to do mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Like looking down on people who maybe don't understand. We've talked about this before, but understand how to camp properly mm-hmm. or how to, you know, maybe like not leave. Like there's sayings that you like take make only memories, leave only footprints. Mm -hmm. Like that's a very like affluent white person's (laughs) told that probably from all their camping experience, which is expensive. And as people try to become more and more involved with nature, if there are affluent white people, they're judging them Mm -hmm. in any way is a huge issue. Yeah. Including safety, like thinking about parks and black people and black birding associations talking about how even being a black person in a park, they get fucking like like profiled or yeah like it's like there's so much history to like how menacing what we're trying to say now actually is and if you ignore that i think it can do a lot of damage and i see it getting ignored i see ignored sorry like i see pretentiousness within mm-hmm. um that community that yeah. community of and it and it and, and it makes me run it makes me really uncomfortable and yeah. i see it which is why it gets, yeah, rightfully criticized and actually is a barrier and why sometimes culturally there's like a negative attitude towards things yeah. like camping or like nature because it's kind of like hippy dippy and like those people are ignorant to like the issues of the world, which in many cases is true. And they yes. get to just be like, but I love the forest. And yeah, people, like, are like, I I, people are like, I have to work every fucking day for yeah. 14 hours. Yes. I'm not going to, a I'm exhausted when I come home. I don't have, I don't live near somewhere. So I'd have to travel 45 yeah. minutes to get to a park. Like, totally. That's is, why I think it's like, before we talk about like what we do, which is maybe like the skills of camping. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, it's about going to a park and making sure that places like high park are protected because mm-hmm. it is so accessible to everyone in Toronto. Everyone can get to high park relatively easily. And that is where we should start when we think about cities and biophobia should be about park systems within cities and how important that is. Yeah. My God, we have to vote properly. I just like, I'm so scared. (sighs) That is the scary part because these are like long term things and it's hard for people to like, even, even for governments to run on these platforms that are like, like you said, they say they invested in re, what was it for Point Peely? You were like, they sold, they bought people's homes. They like yeah, it changed was, it. It was private. But think land, of it. Yeah. Think of the cost of that and how you have to sell that by being like, oh, well, we're actually like investing in nature and the animals. And this will have like a general good effect on like yeah. the population. But there's lots of people who are like, huh, you're going to spend a billion dollars and none of that's going to yeah. be about like helping me have a better yeah. home or like getting me transit. Well, it wasn't or, a billion. So that's first. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't mean to like, I can, it's just difficult to sell something that isn't an immediate return for people. Yeah. And in that case, it was the seventies when there was a huge movement around like supporting that. Yeah. Like that was the beginning of the environmental movement. Like 
we need another one of those movements mm-hmm. now. And that's the hard part. Like the fact right. that Doug Ford was voted in again in Ontario is absolutely depressing because mm-hmm. it's a sign that a people didn't vote. Like it was, a, it was the opposite of a movement. Yeah. There was and no movement. Ironically, maybe this isn't ironic. Maybe this is intentional, but that's like what this wealth disparity is useful to rich capitalists because then when people are poor, all they can think about is their immediate yeah. needs. Yeah, they can't. Yeah. So like, promoting a park is not an immediate need when you can barely afford your rent or food. Yeah. And it's like, it takes people having the time to like fight for these things. But when there's like extreme wealth, they want biophobia. It's true. Rich capitalists and bad politicians like Doug Ford want biophobia because then they're like, we can get rid of the green belt. Me and my friends can get rich. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is directly linked linked to biophobia. Mm. And in fact, it's biophilia and biophilic, people who are fighting to save the green belt. And mm-hmm. it's interesting because you can see how people are getting behind that because mm-hmm. it's like, wait, you're going to build a bunch of single family homes with your mm-hmm. friend's money and get rid of, and now they're learning like, Oh, things of protected birds and all of these like amazing green spaces. Oh, well, it's awful. It's yeah. Awful. It, it's, it's seriously awful. Okay. So now I'm going to talk about psychedelics. Well, the last I thing love, I just oh. was, I won't say anything on it. It's just like <laughs> I was said, there was four points. I said three, the fourth is just, that it starts the loop disconnection leads to the information, which leads to the yes. phobia. Yeah. When you're disconnected, all these studies show like you have a chance, a higher chance of negative interaction with nature, a higher chance of sharing f- sensational and false information. You can't distinguish between harmful and non-harmful organizations. So yeah. like all these things then just cycle. You're, you're removed from it. It gets worse. Then yeah. you're even more removed from it. It gets yeah. worse. So anyway. Okay. So a recent review in health psychology, <laughs> um, found that psychedelics, with therapeutic administration, obviously, because that's like the only way you can like do these studies in nature, increased biophilia. So what the reason is, is because like the mechanism of uh, biophilic moments, they think have to do with awe. And like, I've been obsessed with awe ever since like reading also a bunch of nature stuff and how like nature can create the experience of awe. Oh, I think I wrote down what it was. There was like, uh, definition of awe. Oh, the experience of awe encompasses encountering vastness that transcends one's current frame of reference. It's tied to the feelings of experiencing something much greater than the self and the, ident- the identification of feeling small, like a small self. And I was like, that's so interesting because awe is always like huge. Mm-hmm. Even in like a movie or something, it'll be like a scene of like a mountain or something. Mm-hmm. And I remember the other day we were just walking in that Earl Bells Park and there was like one moment where we just like hit a bunch of trees and the sun was coming in. And I was like, holy shit, this is beautiful. <laughs> and I was like, that's awe. Yeah. And so <laughs> psychedelics create awe. Mm-hmm. Without, <laughs> you could have awe in your room if you do psychedelics because it's, it's hitting the specific neurons in your brain and new neurons giving you those experiences. So they were like, if you can take people who maybe have biophobia for a variety of reasons into nature and with a therapist give them psychedelics they're more likely to experience this feeling of awe and this like connection Mm -hmm. with something bigger which is also what the reason why going into nature can be so healthy because it can decrease rumination enhance psychological connectedness heighten your states of awe and transcendental experiences which you don't need psychedelics to do in nature, but they're finding like it can enhance the, enhance like it, the process yeah, or get you there faster. <laughs> and they also found that routine interactions in nature. Um, I'm going to explain it the other way. When you don't go into nature, you can have a decreased attention span. 
uh, you can make, it's harder for you to handle stress they found. And it's because you don't feel an attachment to something bigger. So it's all about like feeling like connected, connected and a part of something larger while simultaneously feeling small. And I think that is a great way of putting why I go to, I keep talking about this goddamn park, high park, like three to four times a week. Cause it's like, it gets rid of my stress. Cause I'm like, Oh, I'm yeah. this tiny human. It's like looking at the stars where you're exactly. like, it gives you this greater perspective of like, woo. sometimes in one way it can make you feel small, but in that same way, it yeah, can make I, you feel I, a part of something. Yeah, I, I actually don't think it's like looking at the stars for me because looking at the stars to me is very existential when I'm like in nature and I'm seeing like almost like the process, like biology, like circle of life appearing in front of me. It feels, I feel a little bit more grounded in that, mm-hmm. like less, I'm like less existential. Yeah. Like a budding tree being eaten by like a bird. Mm -hmm. Like there's just something about that. That makes me feel so much more calm. Yeah. For me personally. I I know I made you listen to this one time and I want to recommend it to anyone. There is an Alan Watts lecture on psychedelics that I thought was one of the most interesting things I've ever listened to. His premise is ultimately that like for whatever reason, all through history, people have been having quote unquote, religious or spiritual experiences where they feel so connected to nature and the, and the earth as a whole. He, he argues that even like Jesus's whole thing is like, we are all like part of the same thing. Like that, that his inception of God is not necessarily like this, you know, overlord yeah. being, but it's like, we should take care of everything and everyone because we're all one and the same. And that psychedelics for so many people have that same experience mm-hmm. on psychedelics where after they've done like a really intense dose or like a, proper dose yeah they see themselves as part of uh, the yeah. world which is what going into nature is also capable can help of. you do yes. yeah like yeah. with or without psychedelics yeah. but it is interesting that that kind of experience pops up often all throughout history and i just thought it's like it's a really you could probably just type in Watts psychedelics because he was at the forefront of like he was a philosopher, so they wanted him to do it because they're like, you might be able to articulate, yeah. is this good or bad for society? Like, should yeah. in the rise of people doing all these drugs, like, should we be letting them or should we be restricting them? So he got to like try all these drugs in his early career. Um, but it's just like so fascinating to go back to like, yeah, when something makes you feel connected and it is like a spiritual experience when yeah. you're like looking at trees and feeling life. Yeah. It's, it's the best experience. Yeah. You could it gives have. you, it changes your brain for sure. Yeah. Oh my God. Protect parks, protect mm. green space. Fuck Doug Ford. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. I'm, I'm okay. We need to like, we, we need to be like loud or activist somehow. Should we just like quit? I'm like, do I want to like design Toronto? Am I going to run for mayor? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Maybe one day. <laughs> no, uh, no. Yeah. They'd be like, you can't go on walks all the time. You have to do work. And I'd be like, mm, okay, no, I'm going to go on walks all the time. Okay, make sure you're subscribed. Send this to anyone who you think loves yeah. nature or needs to give us a nice review. You know, go on iTunes or Spotify and leave a nice little comment. It makes us feel good. And, you know, everyone says it helps. Um, okay. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Post. That was interesting. See you guys next week. Bye. Thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live 
and move to the UK. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.